All right, if you'll open your Bibles to the book of Matthew, chapter 5, we're going to read verses 33 through 37, continuing the series in the Sermon on the Mount. Again, today's passage is Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no, no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, as we look into your word this morning, um, God, we thank you for the truth uh, that it is, and Lord, may, uh, may this passage this morning just drive us, uh, Lord, to be, um, Lord, to be truthful, God, to let our, uh, what we say, um, Lord, just stand up, um, and God, may, uh, may our hearts and our attitudes and our actions uh, be transformed in Christ's name, amen. Henry Rowland was a professor of physics at John Hopkins University, and he was once called to be an expert witness at a trial. And during his cross-examination, a lawyer demanded, what are your qualifications as an expert witness in this case? And the normally very modest, very humble professor replied quietly, I am the greatest living expert on the subject under discussion. Later, a close friend who knew Roland to be a very humble man expressed surprise at the professor's uncharacteristic answer, to which Roland responded, Well, what did you expect me to say? I was under oath. I was under oath. Well, swearing to tell the truth, under oath is what this passage is all about that Kirk just read for us. Actually, it's about more than that. It's about radical truth-telling, radical promise-keeping, and refusing to play word games to cover up our deceitfulness. Now, as Kirk said, we're continuing our series in the Sermon on the Mount and we're in the middle of this section, and we've had snow, and then church, and then snow, and then church. So let me review just a little bit where we are. We're in the middle of the section where Jesus the King is correcting popular misunderstandings of God's standard for righteousness. Now, in the previous passage here, Jesus has already said that in order to enter God's kingdom, you must have a righteousness that exceeds or surpasses or is greater than the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. Look at Matthew five seventeen through 20. Jesus says, Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I didn't come to abolish but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke, 
shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Whoever annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. And here's the verse. For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not Enter, you know, think of Gandalf. You shall not pass, is what he's saying. Now, King Jesus is seated on a mountain, really a basically a very high hill, and he's presenting himself as the ultimate revealer, the true teacher, the accurate interpreter, and the perfect fulfiller of God's instructions as found in the law. Jesus is correcting the popular misunderstandings and misapplications of God's standards for kingdom living by kingdom subjects. Jesus is not questioning God's word. I heard a false teacher here in town say, we should question the word of God because Jesus did in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus is God. God's not questioning himself. Okay, So he's not questioning God's word as revealed in the Old Testament. Neither is Jesus correcting God's word in the Old Testament. Jesus is God. He's not correcting himself. Jesus is not elevating his words above God's words. All of it is God's word. Instead, Jesus is correcting the way the leaders of Israel have misunderstood and misapplied the law. And how did they do that? They focused on the externals without the internal heart. They focused on the letter of the law as a set of rules without the spirit of the law of love within their hearts. They did it by looking for loopholes to get out of obeying instead of looking to the Lord to give them an obedient heart. And so basically, Jesus is correcting their hypocrisy and the hypocrisy of all people, including us, who focus on those same things. We look at the Word of God as a rule book. We look at the externals, and we don't look to the Lord to give us an obedient heart. He's really doing what he's going to say in Matthew 23 The problem with many of us, we clean the outside of the cup and the inside is full of filth. We look like a tomb that is whitewashed stone, beautiful on the outside, but inside is the rotting flesh of dead men's bones. So here in this section, Jesus provides six examples of how not to look at God's word and how not to look at the law and six ways that we are to look at it. And so they're contrasts. One is a hypocritical, legalistic, lawless, pharisaical understanding of God's word. And the other is a spirit-filled, internal need for God to change our hearts. The surpassing righteousness that King Jesus requires of his subjects. So today's passage presents a sharp contrast between playing games, playing word games, versus simply telling the truth and keeping our promises. 
And what Jesus is asking of us in these few short verses is for a radical honesty and integrity in what we say and what we do. Would you agree talk is cheap? And we need to make sure that our words match our actions and that our actions match our words. And there's really few things that are more important to your reputation and mine than simply telling the truth about what we have done or what we haven't done and keeping our promises about what we will do or what we won't do. And so what Jesus is calling us to do in this passage is to speak with surpassing righteousness. And what does speaking with surpassing righteousness look at, look like? Well, look at your notes. When King Jesus rules our hearts, our mouths will speak with radical truthfulness. When King Jesus rules our hearts, our mouths will speak with radical truthfulness without having to play word games. Well, that's what we have in verses 33 through 37. So let's see this morning what King Jesus has to say about what radical truthfulness really requires. What does it require for us to speak with radical truthfulness? Well, the first thing you see that Jesus wants us to see is this. Stop looking for loopholes for lying. Stop looking for loopholes for lying. And we see this in verse 33. See, Jesus is going to go through verses 33 and 36 and expose the loopholes that our legalistic and lawless hearts look for so that we can get away with lying and breaking our promises. Now, stop right there and don't say, wow, I wish so-and-so was here this morning. And don't be thinking or eyeing your spouse. What we need to do, and I think if we will hear what Jesus is saying, we'll all be on our face by the end of this message. And so he's exposing our hearts. And notice verse 33. I like how the Christian Standard Bible translates it. Again, you have heard that it was said to our ancestors, you must not break your oath. But, You must keep your oaths to the Lord. Now, speaking under oath, uh, sworn testimony, refers to bringing God into the equation of our speech. Think about this. When you take an oath, you're calling God as your witness that you are telling the truth. But you're also calling on God as your judge to punish you if what you're saying is not truthful or you break your promise. So you're saying, God is my witness, I'm telling the truth, and you're also implying God will be my judge if I'm not truthful. Now, the most common way people take oaths today is we, uh, I thought through this, okay, we, 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 we uh, raise our right hand, and we put our left hand on the Bible in a court of law, and we swear that what I'm about to say is, Yeah, we really need this message, okay? We really need this message. I swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Now, more recently, uh, some atheists who don't believe in God, 
and that's all right. We love them. But they voiced discomfort at the prospect of having to swear on the Bible or mention God. And as a result, a witness can actually request to affirm rather than swear. And a typical affirmation used in the U.S. district courts goes like this. You do affirm that all the testimony you are about to give in the case now before the court will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. This you do affirm under the pains and penalties of perjury. And that is what we're talking about. We're talking about perjury, lying under oath. But we also swear, and I think I have an image up here, we also swear in everyday conversations, don't we? When we want people to really, really believe that what we're saying is true. And when we want people to really believe that we're going to keep our promises, we say things like, I swear to God, it's true. I swear to God, I'm going to do it. Or we say, I swear on my mother's grave. Now, I mean, that's like to some people more important than God, right? I swear on my mother's grave. Or I swear on a stack of Bibles. See, when you really got to convince people, one Bible won't do. It's got to be a stack of Bibles, right? And and listen, listen. We learned this from an early age. How many of you know, cross my heart? Yeah, what a wonderful thought there this morning. Yes. And did you know, cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, is really part of a much long, longer, stranger, weird poem that I will not read at all to you, but it ends with this. Cross my heart, hope to die, stick a needle in my eye, break my promise, tell a lie, save my friend, though, maybe it's goodbye. The idea is, even in that little ditty of a poem, when you read through it all, it's basically saying, look, I'm, I'm, I'm going to break your heart. You see, already at a young age, we learn as children that there is wiggle room when it comes to speaking the truth. And when you really want to be truthful, you say, cross my heart, hope to die, or I swear this, or I swear that. And it's only when we really are serious about the truth that we say those things. Of course, if you really wanted to convince someone you were telling the truth as a kid, what did you have them do? Yeah, the old pinky swear, right? The old pinky swear. Now, what does this have to do with what the Old Testament teach? teaches? Well, not much, actually. So let's take a look at it. What did the Old Testament actually require? What did the Old Testament actually teach about our speech? It taught this. The Old Testament teaches radical truthfulness. Radical truthfulness from the heart. And you might be thinking, wait a minute, I thought that's New Testament. No, that's Old Testament. Because it's all God's Word, and God's righteous standards didn't change from the Old to the New. So what the Old Testament requires, and I wish... I, I, I give you the verse references. They're on the screen. They're in your notes. But here's the here, here's a just let me give you a, a three point summary of what the Old Testament required when it came to radical truthfulness. Number one, be a truth teller. Don't lie under oath. Be a truth teller. Leviticus nineteen twelve says, "You shall not swear falsely by my name." So as to profane the name of your God, I am the Lord. 
Be a truth teller. Don't perjure yourself. Number two, be a promise keeper. Be a promise keeper. Don't break your vows. Man, Numbers 30 says this, Numbers 32. If a man makes a vow to the Lord or takes an oath to bind himself with a binding obligation, he shall not violate his word. He shall do according to all that proceeds out of his mouth. Deuteronomy 23, 21 through 23 says, When you make a vow to the Lord your God, you shall not delay to pay it, for it would be a sin in you, and the Lord your God will surely require it of you. However, if you refrain from vowing, it would not be a sin in you. You shall be careful to perform what goes out from your lips, just as you have voluntarily vowed to the Lord your God what you have promised. In other words, don't go back on your promises. But the third thing is also true of the Old Testament. Speak truth from an honest or pure heart. Speak truth from an honest or pure heart. Notice that in both of the Numbers passage and the Deuteronomy, it's about do what proceeds out of your mouth. And yet we know from the Old Testament that from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And in fact, I have it, I think there in your notes, Psalms 51, 6. This is Old Testament teaching. Behold, you desire truth where? In the innermost parts, the being, the heart, and in the hidden part, you will make me know wisdom. In fact, Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verses 1 through 7. I won't read all of it, but Solomon has this wisdom to say. Guard your steps as you go to the house of God and draw near to listen rather than offer the sacrifice of fools. For they do not know what they, they do not know they are doing evil. Do not be hasty in word or impulsive in thought to bring up a matter in the presence of God. For God is in heaven, you are on earth, therefore let your words be few. He goes on to say, when you make a vow to God, do not be late in paying it, for he takes no delight in fools. Pay what you vow. It is better that you should not vow than that you should vow and not pay. Do not let your speech cause you to sin and do not say in the presence of the messenger of God that it was a mistake. In other words, oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. And then it ends with this, fear God, fear God. So here's my point. The point is what the Old Testament taught was radical truthfulness. But how was the Old Testament manipulated by the hypocritical and the pharisaical and the religious and the pious. How was the Old Testament manipulated? It was manipulated for radical deceitfulness by abusing oaths. Radical deceitfulness by abusing oaths. And that is what Jesus is addressing. Jesus isn't correcting the Old Testament. Jesus is saying, you missed the point with your oath-making and your oath-promising. And so you have used oaths as a cover for your deceitfulness. So let's look at it. The Pharisees had two loopholes. So those passages that I just read, they found two loopholes in that Old Testament teaching on oath-swearing and promise-keeping. And here's the first loophole. Truthfulness 
is required only when you swear under oath. So what's it literally say? It says, you know, keep your oaths. So as long as I'm not swearing an oath, guess what I get to do? Lie. And basically, we live that way because otherwise we wouldn't have to tell people, look, I swear to God, I'm telling the truth. All right, you see the idea? So you have these two levels. My normal level of semi-truthfulness and then my I swear to God level, okay? And that's when I'm really honest. That's when you can really trust what I'm saying. That's when you know I will keep my promise. And so in American politics, I mean, you know, I've been thinking about this message, you know, for weeks and months because of delays and cancellations. It's playing out in the political uh, politics on both sides. So don't you, you, you don't uh, put me in one party or the other. American politics is experiencing a moral crisis as seen by politicians in both parties. We are fixated on whether or not a person lied under oath as if it's okay to lie when you're not under oath. Well, was he under oath? Well, it shouldn't matter, Christ follower, if we're under oath or not. Former Senator Rick Santorum summed it up well last week on CNN. I mean, I'm just, I'm watching this, okay? And here's what he said. Uh, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing. All of our presidents have basically lied to the American people at one time or the other. But when you lie under oath, that's when it's an impeachable offense. Now, I, I'm not getting all political on you. I'm just trying to point out the idea that there is this legal way that truly, if you lie, that's one thing. But if you're president and you lie under oath, then that's impeachable. Okay. Well, in the Old Testament, in the New, all lying is impeachable by the king and the judge, okay? Now, what you see is the hypocrisy and deceitfulness that's looking for loopholes to cover their lying. Now, the second loophole they had was God himself. Truthfulness is required only when you swear by God. So, if I'm not swearing an oath, I can lie, but I can swear an oath, and as long as I'm not swearing by God, then I can lie too. And I'm not bound to keep my promises. And that's what Jesus is addressing in verses 34 through 36. This is how this legalistic approach to truth-telling and promise-keeping worked. If you swore under oath by heaven or by earth, you could break your promise. But if you swore by the living God himself, you had to tell the truth and keep your promise. Okay. So it's kind of like, how high are you going to raise, you know, raise your right hand? Okay. Swear by heaven, you know, fingers crossed. You, you get the idea. If you swore an oath by the temple, you could lie or break your promise. But if you swore by the gold of the temple, then you were bound. If you swore by the altar, you could break your promise or lie, but if you swore by the gift on the altar, well, then you had to really be serious and keep your word. If you swore by the city of Jerusalem, you could break your word, but if you swore toward the city of Jerusalem, if you faced toward it, then you had to really keep your word. I'm telling you, they had long passages of, of dictating all these, oh, all about oaths. 
and whether they, you were bound or not bound. They were looking for loopholes by playing word games with the Old Testament law. You see, the problem wasn't the Old Testament. The problem was the Pharisees' legal loopholes and the manipulation of oaths to get away with deception. Now, you can read more about this in Matthew 23. Again, when he lamb blasts the Pharisees in Matthew 23, he goes down through all those things, as we're going to see here in a moment. But let me give you, you know, some of it. We may not be as familiar with the Old Testament, but how many of you saw uh, Pirates of the Caribbean? How many of you love that? Okay, you love that. Well, you know that one of the characters in the Pirates of the Caribbean was a master at this legal maneuvering, and it was Captain Hector Barbosa, a pirate who is always careful to keep his word and yet is intentionally deceptive at the same time. For example, at one point in the movie, he promises to let a young maiden go free, and then he proceeds to make her walk the plank. plank. And one of the characters, protests and says, Barbosa, you liar, you swore she'd go free, to which Barbosa responds, and I'm not going to do a pirate voice, don't you dare impugn me honor, boy, I agreed she'd go free, but it was you who failed to specify when and where, and so indeed he kept his word, he let her go free right off the plank, okay, so like the Pharisees, Our sinful hearts look for these loopholes. Here's what we say. I had my fingers crossed when I said it. We say, I was only kidding. You misunderstood me. We say, I know I promised, but, and then provide our excuse or our blame shifting for why we're not keeping our word. So the first thing that radical truthfulness requires is that we stop doing this. Stop looking for loopholes for lying. Now, here's the second Here's the second requirement. Number two, stop playing word games by oath swearing. Stop playing word games by oath swearing. Look again at verses 34 and 37, and I do like how the Christian Standard Bible translates this. But I say to you, but I say to you, not in contrast to the Old Testament, but in contrast to the legalistic loopholes, but I say to you, make no oath at all. Stop with the oath swearing. Then he goes on in verse 37, but let your yes mean what? Yes, and let your no mean what? No, anything more than this is from the evil one. Wow, Jesus just, boom, just lays it flat. What's he saying? Stop with the word games. Stop playing word games. Okay? Let me give you four reasons why we should stop playing word games and stop this swearing of oaths. But don't get caught up in the oath. You've you got to understand the idea. Stop playing word games to justify lying. Number one, oath swearing actually weakens the truth. You see, when we say, I swear I'm telling the truth, we think we're, we're, we're strengthening the truth. But actually, when we say, 
that, we're really saying you can only believe me when I say these words, and therefore everything else I say is open to question. I've just weakened everything I say. Does that, I mean, I think that's a powerful point. That's why he's saying just let your yes be yes. If your yes is always yes, and your no is always no, and you tell the truth and you keep your promises, you don't have to swear by grandma, mom, and you don't have to have one Bible to swear by. You see, unless a person is speaking under oath by swearing to God or on a stack of Bibles, people like this, you can't trust what, what, the, what they're saying is the truth. You can't rely on them to keep their promises, and you can't take them at their word. You see, if you're a Christ follower this morning, and, and, and I include myself in this, people should be able to take you at your word. The king himself says so. Number two, oath swearing forgets that God always witnesses everything. Oath swearing forgets that God always witnesses everything. So you say, I swear to God as if you're taking God down off the shelf and say, God, here, stand by me and tell me, you know, and witness that I'm telling the truth. Well, guess what? God's not on the shelf. He's ruling over all of creation. He is ruling over all of creation. And that's exactly what he's getting at in verses 34 through 36. Jesus will have none of these games when it comes to the truth. So look at verses 34 and 36. Here's what he's saying. You think you can, you can swear by heaven and get away with it, but that won't work because heaven is God's throne. You think you can swear by the earth, but that won't work either for, for lying and promise-breaking because the earth is God's footstool. You think you can swear toward Jerusalem and, and, and that means something more, but realize that Jerusalem is the city of the great king. You see, his point is this. The point that Jesus is driving home is You can't escape God as a witness. You don't have to call him as a witness. He is listening and seeing all that we say and do. You can't escape God's rule over all of life. See, there's not this area where, okay, God's in charge of truth over in this area, but I'm in charge of how I tell the truth over in this area. He says, look, heaven is his throne. Earth is his footstool. Jerusalem is the city of the awesome great king. You can't even swear by your own life because you can't even change the color of your hair. And I know, ladies, you dye it. I guess men too, but that's not the point. The point is, you know, you can't affect. You don't have control of your own life is the point. The Pharisees were trying to game the system by making it seem like they were making an oath in God's name when really they weren't. But Jesus says, God is always a witness to what you say, whether you call on him as a witness or not. He is the great king who rules over all, hears all our words, and sees all of our hearts. I told you, this is puts us all on our face. Amen? This puts us all on our face. Now... Here's what he wants us to realize. We defame the name of the Lord 
who is the ultimate truth teller, the ultimate promise keeper, when we play word games to cover our deceitfulness. We defame, as Christ's followers, we defame the name of the Lord. And we dishonor the king who he himself said, I am the truth. And if we're in right relationship with him, and if we seek his kingdom and his righteousness before all other things, then we will be truth tellers, promise keepers, and refuse to play word games. Number three, oath swearing should be replaced with simple truthfulness. Oath swearing should be replaced with simple truthfulness. This is verse 37. A simple yes or no should be sufficient. Are you, you know, are you telling the truth? Yes. That's all you've got to say. Because that's the type of character you have. That's the type of rep- reputation you have. Uh, will you ever do this? No. And you, that's all you have. You don't have to say, I swear. I swear I'll never do it. No, just let your yes be yes and your no, no. The New American Standard says, let your statement be yes, yes, or no, no. Literally, that's what the Greek said. What Jesus literally said was, let you, uh, 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 just, just let, it, let your words be yes, yes, no, no. And the point was emphasizing. My yes means yes, and my no means no, and there's no more discussion needed. That's radical. That's radical truthfulness. The... Uh, so the idea, or ESV says, let what you say simply be yes or no. And in the Christian Standard Bible, let your yes mean yes and your no mean no. This is found in James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 12, the stepbrother of Jesus, James the apostle, says this, But above all, my brethren, do not swear, either by heaven or by earth or with any other oath, but your yes is to be yes and your no, no so that you may not fall under judgment. So here's some hard questions. So, you know, if you need to, nudge your neighbor, but focus on your own heart. Here's the hard questions for all of us. Can those around you say the following about you? If he said it, he means it. If she promised it, she will do it. If he said it, it's as good as done. You can take him, you can take her at their word. Don't think of others. Think of you and what others can or cannot say about you. Now, how serious is simple truthfulness? Jesus says anything more than this is from the devil the father of lies. Now, some of your tra- translations say anything more than this is evil. Uh, there's a definite article there. I think the better idea is this is from the devil. Why would I say that? Because Jesus says in John 8:44, you are of your father, the devil. You want to do the desires of your father. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth. Because there is no truth in him, whenever he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own nature. He is a liar and the father of lies. 
what Jesus is saying is when we do anything other than radical truthfulness, our nature and our, our likeness is of the father of lies, the devil. See, anything added to simple radical truthfulness is really radical deceitfulness from the deceiver himself. The guy who gave who 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 spawned all liars. Now, why is why do I call this deceitfulness radical? Why is this radical deceitfulness? Let me just give you a couple uh, reasons. First of all, because of what it undermines. Do you realize that this kind of deceitfulness and word games they undermine our daily walk with the people around us? Listen, it's not. By accidents, this comes after the murder, anger passage and after the lust, adultery passage. Because when you let deceitfulness slip into your speech and your conduct and your relationships, you're setting yourself up. Because why do we get angry at people? Because they lie to us. And when we're angry with people, what do we do about them? We lie about them. We don't think we are, but we do. We exaggerate the problem. We exaggerate their evilness. We exaggerate what they have done. Others go, well, that was bad, but it wasn't that bad. You're lying, okay? And what about adultery? Adultery cannot function. Pornography cannot function without deception. And so you undermine your daily walk with the people around you. You undermine your daily witness to the lost people around you. You see, people are looking at what you say. I'm a Christian. Come to Easter. Come to LifeBridge. And they're looking at what you say and how you do and what your promises are on a day-to-day basis. And they're like, you know what? I'm not sure you really even want me to come because I can't trust your words. It undermines our daily worship of the Lord. Listen, if, 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 if he says lions of the evil one, and we go around playing these word games, our worship of the Lord, there's a separation between us and God. So it undermines those things, but it also is radical because of where it comes from. It comes from the devil himself, and that means that fighting lying is a daily warfare that we need to battle, but also it's radical because of where lying leads to. You lying leads to in the Bible, it leads to the lake of fire. In Revelation 21.8, it says this, but for the cowardly and unbelieving and abominable and murderers and immoral persons, anger, adultery, immorality, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars will have their part in the lake that burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. And then it goes on in the next passage, Revelation 22, and says outside of the kingdom of God, outside of the new creation are the dogs and the sorcerers and the immoral persons and the murderers and the idolaters and everyone who loves and practices lying. Listen, folks, the saying liars will be friars is not a joke. It's it's sound theology said in maybe a rather crude way. One last point we need to consider. Number four. 
Oath swearing in public is not forbidden. Oath swearing in public is not forbidden. One of the interesting things about this passage of Scripture is that during the Reformation, the Anabaptists, and then here in America, the very first group to ever take this position was the Quakers. They read this passage, and it seems so absolute in what Jesus is saying, do not swear at all, that these groups <coughs> refused to take public oaths in a court of law. So when they witness in a court of law, they refuse to swear because Jesus said, don't swear. But when you think about it, think about how much oath swearing we actually do in public. So you do it every time you witness in a court. The president has to do it, right? Uh, think about what do we do when we marriage? We take a public oath, a public vow, and we celebrate that. Are we celebrating sin? Okay, so think about this. So you've got to realize, well, I can't take you through all the arguments, but here's the idea. What Jesus is addressing is private speech, personal speech, not the public and legal speech. And let me give you four reasons why that is. First of all, because Scripture permits the truthful, honest use of oaths. Okay, there's places in Scripture where God tells his people to swear an oath. Number two, God swears oaths. Do you realize our very salvation is because God made a promise and then he swore by himself because he could swear by nothing greater? Why? Because he's trying to deceive us? No, he's trying to assure us of his truthfulness. Jesus, did you realize that right here in verse 18, he says, truly I say to you, basically he's saying, I'm telling you the truth. And then he says, don't do oaths. So you see, the point is, you don't do it to deceive people, but you may do it in public and when you're married. So, you know, husbands, you're still married after today, okay? So you can't, you can't get out of that. And then there's more I could share with you. Now, here's the point. Both the Old Testament, New Testament, and Jesus cry out, call for, and require radical truthfulness. Now, right now, if the Holy Spirit is applying this message to our hearts like he wants to and desires to, we probably are having one of two reactions right now. One reaction is the legalistic and the lawless reaction where right now, through this message, you've been looking for loopholes. You've been saying, yeah, not me, but him or her, and, and I am a truthful person. I don't know who he's talking to, but it's not me today. Okay, so that's that. The other reaction is this, the lost cause reaction, the reaction that says, if God's standard's that high, how can I do this? And I pray to God, that's all of our reactions. I am convinced if God just had one law to keep, like in the garden, but if he gave us this week, I have one law for all of us to keep this week, do not lie and keep all your promises, we'd all stand convinced at the end of the week. So this last requirement is good news for all of us this morning. And here it is. Number three, speak truth from a radically transformed heart. Speak truth from a radically transformed heart. You see, radical truthfulness always requires a radical transformation of the inside. That is what Jesus wants. Jesus wants to knock down our loopholes. He wants to expose our game playing because as long as we 
protect ourselves from that. We protect our lives from being actually transformed by the gospel. And what he really wants us to do is say, look, I'm guilty. I'm a liar and a promise breaker according to your standards. And what I need is a radical heart transformation. You see, the heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. Now, in doing this research, I, I, I ran across the most curious challenge to the oath, to a swearing oath in recent years occurred in the court case U.S. versus Ward, a tax evasion case involving a Las Vegas publisher named Wallace Ward. And for reasons known only to Ward, he insisted on replacing the word truth, I swear to tell the truth, with the phrase fully integrated honesty. Okay. <laughs> Who knows? Okay. But the point is, the court said, no, you have to do it. And then later, another court upheld it and said this. They, they said that Ward had aptly demonstrated that a moral and ethical sense of right and wrong with the words fully integrated honesty. Actually, that is marvelous. Fully integrated. No loophole. No game plan. What is on the inside is what comes out of the mouth. And what comes out of the mouth is a true reflection of the mind and the heart. Well, this is what radical truthfulness is. It's fully integrated honesty. And so in Ephesians 4, 25, once you turn to Ephesians 4, turn to Ephesians 4, and we'll close with this idea. Ephesians 4, 17 through 25. In Ephesians 4, 25, I want you to turn there and see this. Ephesians 4, 25. Here's what Paul says we should do. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. But how can our sin-enslaved, deceptive hearts ever be that radically truthful? The answer is in the previous verses. Look at verses 17 through 24. The only way you can obey verse 25 is if God has created in you a new heart of righteousness after the likeness of King Jesus. That's the whole point. And so if you look at verses 17 through 24, he's saying, look, forsake, put off the old manner of life that included lying and promise-breaking. And instead, verse 23, be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self which is in the likeness of God and has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. God will create in you, in me, a new heart of righteousness and holiness in truth. What does that look like? Three things. Be truthful in your speech. Be careful in what you promise. Be faithful in following through no matter what the cost. Now, I've given you verses there. You can study that on your own. But just understand, this is simple, radical 
truthfulness. When God has changed us from the inside out, we put off lying. And when we do lie, we repent of it. We confess it. We ask forgiveness and we restore truthfulness to our lives. Be truthful in your speech. Be careful what you promise and be faithful to follow through. Now, how is this all possible? The heart of the matter is always the matter of the heart. God's remedy for a dishonest heart is a new heart, and his answer for our deceitfulness is Christ's righteousness in the gospel. So I want you to think about this. It says in verse 20 up here, it says in verse 20 of Ephesians 4, but that is not how you came to know Christ, assuming you heard him and were taught by him, as is the truth that is in Jesus. So what's the truth I want to leave you with this morning? King Jesus never told a lie or broke a promise because he is the truth. Amen? He never did. Number two, King Jesus took our place on the cross to suffer for every lie and every broken promise that we ever broke or ever will break. Can we say thank you? Number three, King Jesus rose from the dead to conquer our enemy, death and the devil, the father of lies. So when we place our faith in him, we're no longer bound to be liars. Amen. The father, we, we're in a new family. We're no longer in the father of lies. We're in the father of truth. Fourth, King Jesus ascended to the right hand of God to give us the Holy Spirit, the spirit of truth. In order to create in us this new truthful heart and to empower us and enable us to lie even though we still have a lying sin nature in us. And number five, King Jesus is returning very soon and he will judge the living and the dead and all liars will be cast into the lake of fire. But up until that time, Jesus is a savior and Jesus wants to you to give you his righteousness so that you can put off lying and put on the clothing of his righteousness. You say, Chris, what do I have to do to do that? It's a gift of faith. It's a gift. You simply receive it. He did it. You don't have to do anything. You mean I give him my lies and he gives me his truth? Yes. I give him my sin and he gives me my righteousness? Yes. And he not only does it, but he empowers you to live that way. And so I want to end with this story. At a county fair, a distinctively dressed Quaker offered a horse for sale. And a non-Quaker farmer asked its price. And since Quakers had a reputation for fair dealing, he bought the horse without hesitation. The farmer got the horse home only to discover it was lazy and ill-tempered. So he took it back to the fair the next day. Then he confronted the Quaker. Thou hast no complaint against me. Quakers talking King James, apparently. Thou hast no complaint against me. Had thou asked me about the horse, I would have told thee truthfully the problems. But thou didn't, 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 did not ask. That's okay, replied the farmer. I don't want you to take the horse back. I want to try to sell it to someone else. Can I borrow your coat and hat for a while? But you know what? We don't have to borrow 
we can take off, or actually Jesus takes off our unrighteousness and clothes us in his righteousness and then enables us not to just pretend to be honest, but actually be honest. Is that a beautiful thing? And so receive it today. Receive it today. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said this, the cross is God's truth about us, and therefore it is the only power that can make us truthful. With your heads bowed, we'd like to go into a response time. And with your heads bowed, I just want to remind you, only God's grace can forgive you of your sins, and only God's truth can set you free from a deceptive heart, a lying tongue, and promise-breaking. In this time of response, I want you to think about a couple things. I want you to think, first of all, I want to ask you to recognize your need for radical truthfulness. And that should be all of us. Your need for radical truthfulness, and maybe you're here and you're like that Quaker. You only have a reputation for honesty, but in reality, you need a radical transformation. And so, secondly, I want you to run to Jesus. We're going to play some music here, but in your heart, run to Jesus because he is the truth, the way, and the life. And I want all of us to repent of our lying and our game playing. Do business with God this morning and determine to obey Ephesians 4 and replace falsehood with speaking truth. And then finally, renew your mind with the good news that in Christ Jesus we have been granted righteousness as by faith we grant him our deceitfulness. Father in heaven, do that creation, transformation, gospel work. As the instruments play, Lord, I pray, lives and hearts will be transformed.